Welcome to IABC's podcast, The Voice, for marketers, communicators, and creative professionals everywhere. Brought to you by MediaStyle. This episode hosted by Tina Barton. Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Voice. I'm Tina Barton, VP of Membership for IABC Ottawa and your host for today. I'm here at the Marcom Conference with Julian Smith, opening keynote speaker and author of three New York Times best-selling books, The Flinch, Trust Agents and The Impact Equation, Are You Making Things Happen or Just Making Noise? Julian is a highly popular blogger whose content is viewed by millions, a consultant and a speaker for some of the world's largest corporations. His work is all about how to stand out, change yourself, and do what's necessary. He's also the CEO of a stealth startup called Breather that he'll soon be unveiling to the world. Hello and welcome, Julian. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Well, I've just met Julian when he finished his keynote speech at the Marcom conference, and he was talking about adaption and change. And he had a, a pretty interesting introduction. It was survival of the fittest style. You said at the start, you have to become a weapon or be destroyed. Could you explain for us a bit about that? It sounds so, uh, in the context of my talk, it's, I feel like it's natural. In this context, it sounds really ominous, but it shouldn't be that way. It's, uh, it should be, everything is a kind of confrontation. Uh, exposure to the environment is a confrontation. How am I gonna react to anything in the environment, whether I'm gonna react defensively or not, other things like that. Even conversations, you know, it's, it applies everywhere. But I guess what I mean is, is, uh, can you be the tool that does the job? Can you, can you become supremely useful to do the thing you have to do? Uh, are you adapting to the future? Are you, are you able to become and, and to do what's necessary? And I guess that's what I mean by become a weapon or be destroyed is, is the future, the natural state of all companies, the natural state of all people, and the natural state of all jobs is dead. <laughs> so your job is to do as much as you can and, and have as much of an impact in the world as you can. And you do that by listening to the environment. And you do that by becoming what you need to be. Absolutely everything is going towards a state of irrelevance. Everything, every company is trying to do something, but in a long enough timeline, it drops to zero. So, and even, even industries that we thought would always exist are being totally transformed and, and, and turned on their head by other, by other companies and other things like that. So really your job is, is, is to be able to, to kind of tread water at minimum and, uh, and be thinking about how that's gonna happen in the future. So I guess that's kind of what I mean. I mean, you need to be able to look towards the future and go, how am I gonna stay alive then? Not today, today I'm doing fine. I mean, metaphorically alive. Uh, how am I going to deal with the challenges of tomorrow? And uh, I don't think a lot of people, people think about it, but they don't think and they don't adapt as fast as they could. Going back to something you said at the keynote there, you said if you're not number one or number two in the category, create your own category, mm -hmm. which is, I think, the same thing you're talking about here. But how do people go about creating their own category in mm -hmm. this crowded world where everything is fading towards irreverence? 
Yeah, you know, it's it, that's a really good question because the reality is is that most stuff is iterative. What what uh, Peter Thiel, uh, first investor in Facebook and co-founder of PayPal, would say is he would say uh, almost everything goes from one to infinity, which is basically like duplication and uh, creation of the same thing over and over and over and over again. The hard thing is going from zero to one, not going from one to infinity. And going from zero to one requires a tremendous will and a tremendous amount of uh, understanding of the environment and your ability to adapt to the environment. So if you can, if you can do that, uh, it is, I don't want to say a recipe for success because it's not that easy, but you have a shot. And that's really that all that everyone is looking at is having a shot at being able to do something and have a huge impact on the world. So how do you go and create a new category? You do it by looking at the existing environment and going, how am I going to create an adaptation to something that already exists, but something that is at the same time totally new? And one of the ways to do that is to look at emerging technologies and go, okay, what, how are these emerging technologies going to change the landscape? And how am I going to, what am I going to build on top of those things? That is, that is one way to do it. The answer is, is the future is always changing and all new layers are always being added on. And it so seems, think about what those layers are. And it seems to get there, you're obviously, you're a voracious reader and you're listening. And that's something you said to the participants today too. Always be listening attentively and looking because you, as you also said today, you've got to get outside of your own mind in order to think differently. Perhaps you could tell the audience a bit about that. Sure. Um, Bruce Lee said this thing, your prison is your own ideas. You are the, the biggest challenge is, is getting past your own limitations, which is very difficult uh, because they're yours and they're in your head and you are also in your head. So it's a really difficult thing to do. So exposure to data, exposure to the environment, or exposure to challenges is profoundly important to be able to transform yourself. So let's discuss the flinch. This is your best-selling book that's been viewed by millions online. It's free to download for those who haven't read it. And I think it really relates well to what we're talking about. You have this phrase that you read throughout the book about flinching forward, about responding to challenges by pushing ahead instead of shrinking back. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. Um, so, just the, the principles behind the flinch to get you an idea of, of where we're coming from. All of this comes from data and comes from people that have done physical things and understand physical aspects of how we react. Um, Tony Blauer is a really famous uh, self-defense practitioner. And what he does is he trains people physically to feel the reaction of the flinch, which is a biological process that you cannot eliminate. No matter how trained you are, a butterfly passing through your field of vision really close to your eye is going to make you flinch. There's nothing you can do about that. However, your reaction to the flinch can be retrained, and to keep you from flinching back, one of the best things you can do instead is you can flinch forward in order to defend yourself. And so, uh, there's a whole process for this that they do in self-defense, but outside of the self-defense world, the flinch, the, the physiological and psychological process of shrinking back exists for almost everything that we do, from taking a cold shower to jumping in a pool to meeting someone we don't know and that we're impressed by. 
under every circumstance. We're always flinching, and we're flinching at stupid things. Have you ever watched a sitcom, and you're in this really awkward place, and, and you're watching the characters do something awkward, and you're embarrassed? Really, when you look at it, you're being embarrassed by false people on a false television screen that don't exist in a situation that did not happen, and yet you are shrinking back from it. And so that should tell you how strong our biological processes are. So with that in mind, retraining yourself to be able to feel that, to have that feeling, and to flinch forward, that is to say, to react positively to the provocation, is what I think is, I think it's a necessary thing to do in the world in order to be able to, to get where you need to go. It's another way of um, getting outside of your own head, as we were discussing, because you put yourself in a different path. And you have a sentence in the book that really resonated with me. You said, um, the flinch thrives on making risks look worse than they are, and that you start to protect yourself from things that haven't even happened. Right, things that haven't happened, exactly. And uh, not even in a positive way. That's 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 not advancing forward and finding a new category and fearing that. Um, that's you know that's completely limiting and going the other way. We we heard you say at this at the session that um, you need to be you need to have some risk tolerance. You need to risk damage. Mm -hmm. Let's yeah. discuss that a bit. It's very important. Okay, uh, my background where I come from with regards to this is is just looking at the world in the world of. Uh, of adaptation of hormesis and biological processes that say when you take damage, you come back stronger. This is the way everything works. When bones break, when they're set again properly, they come back and they become stronger than they were before. Uh, when you break muscle tissue and it heals, it makes you bigger and stronger, which allows you to lift more, etc. The whole world works this way. If it doesn't kill you uh, or damage you to a, to a point of almost death, it will make you stronger and you will come back. So the problem really is, is that we don't actually have much damage in this environment. And it's very easy to metaphorically or physically sit on the couch and do nothing. Because that's what our, part of our brain wants us to do. It doesn't want us to get hurt. It wants us to survive, to reproduce and die. So the reaction has to be, well, I want X and Y thing out of life. Are those things going to be easy? No. They, will, there, will there be obstacles? Yes. Will I want to, to shrink away from those obstacles? Yes. Okay, how am I going to train myself not to, not to flinch back? And it's, it's a process. It's literally training that you can try over and over and over and over again, and it makes you better. And what are some tips you can offer? Usually I, I get people to... It's funny, like I'm not, a, I'm not one of those people who, who coach... I'm like Tony Robbins or whatever, but I, I teach people to just look at everyday circumstances in life that make them shrink away and to make them do those things on purpose. Like one of the craziest things that I've ever heard that people do, I've never done it, but maybe I will one day, is, uh, is to go to a subway uh, and then get in the subway and at the, after every single station, say the name of the, of the subway station out loud in front of like a hundred people. Don't they have automated voices to do that? Yeah, they do, exactly. That's, that's exactly the point, is that it's weird to do that and it makes people feel uncomfortable. Because it makes people feel uncomfortable, it makes you feel uncomfortable. But the point is, is that you'll walk away and then you'll be like, oh my God, that was hugely embarrassing. And then you'll be like, I survived. And you'll laugh and you'll be like, I survived. Yeah. Another one is to get into a cold shower. You know, like there's all of these, it's just general things to make you go through the process of, ow, and then I survived. I think, um a nice segue from that is into your very popular blog posts. Obviously, you have many 
mini blogs, uh, mini entries. Um, in over your head.net is a great website that the listeners should check out. And my favorite entry on there is called The Complete Guide to Not Giving a Fuck. <laughs> and it's all about recognizing who and what is important to you and standing your ground. Um, how do you reconcile that idea with the notion of then creating change mm -hmm. and, and being willing to change? If on the one hand you're standing your ground, but on the other hand, you are trying to do different things. Are these two completely separate ideas, or are they related? I think they're related. First of all, your ground is not set in stone. It's fluid. You, as you learn, you discover what works and what doesn't. But the point is, is that if you're ever going to do anything challenging and worth doing, you're going to go against the status quo. Jeff Bezos, the guy who uh, founded Amazon, is really famous for saying, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you better get used to getting ridiculed and getting people telling you you're wrong for a very, very long time. And those, that's not just true about entrepreneurship, it's true about almost everything. Anytime that there's something new that's being done, the status quo, the ocean of, the, of, of society will say, that's dumb, until it becomes the new normal. And then they'll say, of course, it's obvious. Shouldn't We've always had this. We should always have had this. Twitter's a great example of that. The more things you get, in fact, the more things are being ridiculed at the beginning, uh, often the more successful that they become. Another example is Kickstarter. Kickstarter's like, oh, it was like an artist uh, begging for change on the corner. What a stupid idea. Well, guess what? It's a hugely successful marketplace where all kinds of things emerge as a result of it, but it's ridiculed at the beginning. So sometimes you should almost seek those things out and go, uh, this is embarrassing and maybe I'll, I'll be wrong, but that is what risking damage is, is looking at it and going, I'm willing to take that. It's like the Adidas example you gave us in your keynote back there, where um, Adidas was uh, advertising, putting up billboards, and it was always getting tagged and graffitied. And so they, in the end, it looks like they just put up um, a, 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 an empty shoe on a blank white canvas and just left it there to see what would happen. Yeah, the, the example is, is, uh, is, a, is a very old example for a sneaker campaign. They didn't even put up a sneaker, they literally would put up a blank billboard. And they would take that billboard and people would graffiti it, because that's what people do with blank billboards in the city. And then they would take that graffiti down and then they would transform that graffiti into a sneaker and put it in the exact same neighborhood. So the people who walked by those would be like, isn't this cool? My graffiti is on a sneaker. That's my sneaker. Right? Yeah. It's literally using the environment and adapting the environment to create something that works. I thought that was a, a really good illustration of, of what, you, what you've been talking about. Um, a lot of our audience are communicators. They're professional communicators. They're business communicators, marketers, creative people. Um, it can be hard for communicators to not give a fuck because this is an <laughs> industry that's based on perception and presentation and reputation. So. Are there some lessons, though, that communicators can learn from everything you've been saying? Uh, sure. I mean, I guess one of the things is, is yeah, you have to communicate with people, and, and there's a difference between not caring about the status quo and not caring about people. You shouldn't deliberately be provoking people and being uh, rude to people. It's not what that's about. It's about looking towards the current status quo of how things are doing and taking a stand for something. I actually learned this a long time ago. I learned it from people, colleagues of mine that I respect a lot, and they were like, Julian, you're really amazing with this thing that you're doing, but what are you about? Nobody knows what you stand for. And I thought about this a long time, and I thought about it, and it's right, you have to stand for something. You have to stand for something that is not obvious and that not everyone agrees with. So that's different than 
communicators and marketers speaking for their brands or speaking for the companies that they work with. I'm just talking about being able to provoke and being able to handle the result of provocation. And as a, re as a result of that, getting the rewards of provocation at and the same time. Definitely on a personal level, obviously, communicators and marketers all stand for something personally. They mm -hmm. have their own brand, as well as representing the organizations and companies that they do. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder, because you know, traditionally, communications and marketing has been a, a reputation-based career and, and continues to be. And so I'm just intrigued about how communicators can learn something from a blog post such as yours about, about not giving a fuck. Is there a way to, maybe it, the communications industry needs to shake itself up a bit more? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that communications is really a set of best practices. And the problem is, is that once those best practices are best practices, they become the status quo. So they're no longer useful. They're no longer profitable. They're no longer things that people are doing. Uh, and so I understand, in fact, in investment and in a lot of other uh, things that are similar to it, sometimes what some people consider to be the best thing to do is to do 90% of what the status quo does and to do 10% highly risky things that are very useful, but then if, even if those things don't work, it's cool because you go back to your 90%. So the problem there lies where the 10% that is risky is just simply not risky enough. That's, that means you don't get the you're not getting much downside, you're not getting much upside either. You want the upside to be large. You need to take a significant risk in that 10%. Now, something that intrigues me, and um, sometimes, like I've observed, you might be a man of contrast sometimes, because I've heard you say uh, that you should always attempt new things and allow yourself to be wrong. We heard you say that today in the, in the session. But on the other hand, on your blog, you've talked about the importance of finding something and standing for it. And on your blog, you say to people, you know, you should take one thing and you should spend about five years becoming really good at it. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, that seems to be two different pieces of advice. But are they, are they both right? Or do you want to rescind one in favor I think, of no, the other? No, I think they're both right. I, it's, uh, I suspect that, I, that I've been talking about different things. Uh, you need a series of habits. So your life needs to be a series of habits that are largely stable for you to go out and do an unstable thing. If your whole life is unstable, you're a drug addict, or you're a criminal, or you're a homeless person. But if you are doing 90% or whatever, highly stable things, this is another way of looking at this, is going, That's your five-year focus, the stable yeah, thing. of the stable thing. And then you're gonna go out and you're going, I'm gonna go now go transform this industry with this five years that I have. It's not, or, it's uh, looking, at, looking at it, again, financially, is going, I need a stable base in order to be able to do an unstable, risky financial thing, like starting a business. I mm -hmm. can't just start a... So all of these things come from... Because I, I really used to believe that anyone could just, should just take risk and just take it. I realized that it is actually, it comes from a deep emotional stability to be able to do that. Yes. If it's all downside for you, then you're definitely not going to be taking risk. You're going to be freaking out and being as you're, you're a turtle inside of a shell with reason because your whole life is freaking you out. But if you can handle, if you're in a really stable place, then you can go out and do an unstable thing. I think they go hand in hand. It's like yin and yang. One is stable, one is unstable. And you use those two things in order to progress forward. All stable means flatline and dead. All unstable means chaos. The two can have to work together in your own life for you to be able to move forward. That's very well said. Thank you.
That reminds me of the two graphs that you showed us in this session, where you, they were, they were your, your hand-drawn graphs, mm -hmm. and there were two curves, and um, the axes were pain and time. And one showed uh, very small pain at the beginning, and um, you know, generally things seem to be relatively painless for a while, and then there was a sharp peak of pain at the end, whereas the other one began with uh, a, a degree of pain that that shot up quite quickly, but it never went as high as, as the other model, and it kind of flatlined over time. And that was that was the approach that you recommend, and you, you had a good example around that. Well, Chinese water torture was your example for the right. first model. Mm -hmm. I just talk about nothing is linear. Linear, uh, nothing has a linear curve of, of pain or reward or anything associated with it. Uh, you almost never see a curve that just goes straight up or straight down. Either it goes radically down immediately or it goes radically up over time. And so examination of the upside versus the downside, this is where the math comes in. We're really bad at math as human beings, but, uh, but we can get good at it. Or we could just look at it and analyze it and get an impression over the long haul what is right and what is wrong. I mean, listen, uh, Marshall McLuhan, very famous saying, uh, he's the medium is the message guy, but he also said, we should be as smart as anyone that came before us because we literally have access to all of their knowledge inside of books. So we have a great deal of information, but somehow we still ignore it and we're very bad at making decisions based on that information. So I would just look at something that is difficult to do with the beginning that has a lot of negative reaction to it, not insane negative reaction, not criminal negative reaction, but enough negative reaction that is unpopular and might become popular. I think that brings us well to your other book, The Impact Equation, about making things happen and not just making noise. Um, that's close to a communicator's heart or an entrepreneur or anyone that has a message or a story or an idea to get out there in this very crowded world. Mm -hmm. So your book, The Impact Equation, it has, it has a model um, and you use the word create, and every letter of this, of this word stands for something. And this seems to be, um, well, the equation, talking math, this is the equation for making things happen. Would you like to tell the audience a bit about that? I mean, uh, I think we were looking at a changing landscape on the web and a changing landscape for communicators, and looking at those things and going, okay, uh, what kind of... Maybe, this is, maybe it is a new set of best practices. Maybe that's what that is. And looking at a series of things and going, how can we become better in a general sense? Not better at tweeting, not better at anything related to technology, but how can we become better at communication and what things do we need to do in order to really impact people? And it's based on something called the trust equation, which people came out with 10, 15 years ago. And trust is a really woo-woo concept. What does it mean? How do you get more trust? Nobody really knows. So a bunch of Harvard guys got together and they basically divided trust into four factors, which are intimacy, reliability, credibility, and self-interest. And self-interest is negative. The more self-interested you are, the less people trust, like a car salesman. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of them are all positive. So credibility is, I can do the kind of thing that my degree says I can do. So my degree helps my credibility. My reliability says, I can do, I will do what I said I would do, which means I will show up on time. I will be there for you when I said I would be there for you. The intimacy is, I like you, and we should do business together because we're friends. And then self-interest is a negative one. So we have the same thing, and we thought about it, and we went, 
Okay, well, what does that mean, and how does it work with the, with the receiver or with the sender? And so these are all the factors. They're contrast, reach, exposure, articulation, trust, and echo. And so we built an equation saying, these are the things that you need, and each one of these things can be measured. As a result, you can take a woo-woo concept like impact and make it into something that is more measurable. Great, so for people with new ideas, Julian's offered you some tips today for creating your own category if you can't dominate existing ones. And um, once you get to the point of making the impact, you can refer to his book, The Impact Equation, which he's been signing for people today. Now, I'm sure we haven't covered everything that you have to offer the world. I'm sure you have uh, other ways to inspire people to move forward because um, that's what really stood out for me when I came across your website and then your blog. I was really inspired because you do take such a different approach to everything and it's very clear from, from your website that you're not scared to take risks. Mm. You have a, a startup, a stealth startup that will be uh, <laughs> inching its way towards the public in the coming weeks. Maybe you want to tell us a bit about that? So we're doing a launch in two weeks in, at a very big web conference, one of the biggest in the world, it's in uh, London. And you can just go to breather.com if you're interested and you can sign up to our little list. Well, thanks for joining us today. It's been a, a very insightful session, firstly, and then I feel very fortunate to have had the chance to have this chat with Julian afterwards. Again, my name is Tina Barton. You can connect with me on Twitter at Tina M. Barton. And you've been listening to Julian Smith, best-selling author, speaker, blogger, consultant, and entrepreneur. Julian, how can people connect with you? Um, very simple. My blog is inoveryourhead.net. Or you can find me at Julian on Twitter, J-U-L-I-E-N. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast of the International Association of Business Communicators, produced in Ottawa at MediaStyle. For more information, visit ottawa.iabc.com.